America, my name is Amir Yosef from Pong. I come to you every Thursday about this time. And today I'm going to talk to you about inflation. You've been hearing a lot about inflation. You've been seeing inflation. You've seen your gas prices. I remember the first time, about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, I filled up my car and the little minivan, because I got a bunch of kids, I got a heap of kids. I filled up the car and it ran to $70 to fill up my little minivan, my little used... <laughs> my little used Honda minivan, and I was upset. I, at first, I thought there was a mistake. Um, I, I, I remember because I happened to have a $100 bill, and I paid the cashier $100. Let me fill it up. I'd come back and get change. Went, filled it up, came back. She gave me $29 in change, and I was walking outside. I was in a bit of a rush. I was walking outside, and I was counting it, and I thought she made a mistake. I was about to go, oh, I thought... I was about to go back because I thought filling it up cost $29 and um, she had flipped it around. But it turns out, no, filling it up had cost $70 and $29 was my correct change. You know, once I like looked at the receipt and I, I did the math in my head and I was, I was, I felt some sort of way about that. I do not drive very often. I just don't have to in my life. I do a lot of biking, but I was, I was in a rush and filled up the car and that's what happened. So inflation is real, but we don't know why, right? So the way the reasons why are 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 really poor. <laughs> are really poor. Right? So let me tell you about some of the uh, uh, wives tales about inflation, the untrue propaganda about inflation. It's because we actually are paying workers. <laughs> That's not the reason why there's inflation. Right? It's, not just, it's not just making sure that poor people have enough money to pay their bills. It's not the child tax credit that's causing inflation. One, the big, the big cause of inflation, they say over 60%, is just companies using the fact of the other 40% inflation to legitimize raising prices without some sort of computer, uh, con con consumer backlash. Because you have to understand that the only thing that keeps prices what they are are con is consumer backlash. Um, and so you really can't blame the companies for using, you know, the culture in order to legitimize them raising prices when they just realize they can raise prices. They're always looking for an excuse to raise prices. And you, you can't blame them because capitalists are going to be capitalists, right? So, like, if you have a company that's geared towards shareholder profit, as, you know, they should be, in a way, you can't, you can't be surprised when they use any sort of political event to, as an excuse to raise prices because they always want to raise prices. It's like an alcoholic who finds an excuse to drink. You know how this is going to go. If you ask an alcoholic whether they want to study, read a book, or go to the bar, you know how this is going to end, right? So if you ask a company whether you know, they want to raise prices, they will say yes and keep everything the same. So the inflation has, uh, the fact of 40%, like real inflation, has given the other 60% of corporate inflation an excuse, a cover, a beard, um, uh, as it were, to raise prices. So that's 60% of the price increase is just people seeing that they can normalize raising prices. The other 40% is more complicated, right? So inf inflation used to be just sector to sector, certain goods, college tuition, but not really food, um, TVs, but not, uh, actually TVs were on the, the, the down. Some goods were, were uh, subject to inflation. Uh, healthcare access uh, was subject to inflation. 
um, inelastic goods that were politically controlled, but we had bad politics, was, were, um, were, was subject to inflation, right? And so I, I used to have a chart, but I, I couldn't find it. It just showed like what goods were subject to inflation, what, what goods were actually deflationary. And food was just kind of like, for the last decade, like, so food was just kind of humming along not particularly inflationary, deflationary. And I got a little bit confused about this because over the last decade, I've moved to relatively cheaper and cheaper places. So I used to work in a grocery store in 2004 and five and six and seven. And then I moved in California. And then I moved to Illinois where things where food was a little bit cheaper. And so I didn't really notice that prices may or may not have gone up. And then I moved from Illinois to Georgia with a little stint in Boston in between. And everything's cheap in Georgia. Um, so for me, food prices have been pretty much steady since like the nineties, just because of my own migration. But then I went back to California last week and I realized that same grocery store I worked in, the prices are a little bit higher. So food has gone up. Whereas the $6 rotisserie chicken in 2003 is still $6 in Georgia. It's $10 or $11 in, in, in Berkeley, California, right? So when it was $6 in Berkeley, California, I don't know how much it was in Georgia, but right now it's you know six dollars in Georgia, and, and uh, you know eleven dollars in Berkeley. So food prices have gone up. What does that mean? Well, it means there's been a failure of public policy, right? So we want to keep food prices down. How do you keep food prices down? Um, and in general, and I'll we'll deal with food in particular, but in general, how do you keep uh, prices down while putting money in people's pocket? Well, you have to get them more productive. You have to, they have to produce more valuable goods and services. So if people are producing more goods and services, prices will stay the same or go down because of competition in goods and services. But if you give people money without allow, enabling them to produce more goods and services, which a lot of the response to this pandemic did, and we kind of end up shoring up monopoly power, which cuts people out of the business of producing and, uh, and distributing services, then you know, prices of goods go up because you have the same amount of goods now with people with more money. So what you have to do is make those people productive. And so there was a, it's funny because there was a, a program in India, kind of like a federal job guarantee for rural workers because there was a you know, huge rural poverty problem. And so they put all these people to work in India and they realized that one, it increased private sector employment because it made more people used to having jobs and it took, and like these were good government jobs. So it just made more people used to working. So after they'd work for the government for a while, they'd work in the private sector and, and, and everything would good. And it increased uh, private sector productivity because the people who are working the government jobs were, were creating productivity enhancing assets. You know, roads, schools, stuff like that. Right? So if you're creating productivity enhancing assets, and people are more productive, you don't have to worry about inflation. If you just give people money, but don't make them more productive, you do have to worry about inflation. So instead of all of these checks, we should have gotten serious about a federal a job guarantee. Like, so I say this right now, I'm in Athens, Georgia. If you don't know, Georgia and the, the deep south in general is underproductive. It's underproductive because of racial issues and it's underproductive because of infrastructure. Atlanta became productive after 96 because of the Olympic, but prior to 96, you know, Atlanta was just a big rural town. It was a, it was a kind of a city, right? It was a bit of a city, but it was also very Southern and um, in terms of like development and people didn't want to develop the South because to develop the South, you had to deal with the race problem. People didn't want to deal with the race problem. So they didn't develop the South. 
And that was, that's a problem for the entire South. So there's about 60, I'm being generous. When I say there's about 60 years of deferred maintenance, like in this state, you could put everyone to work in Georgia who wants a job at a good rate and just doing deferred maintenance. And look, the weather's beautiful. So if you do all of the, the maintenance and the goods, the, not just the deferred maintenance, but you actually have like cultural artifacts, people will come and flock and spend money and people will be more productive. Because right now, for example, Selma, Alabama is a horrible place to live. Fantastic weather, horrible place to live because you just had, a, they can all vote, I guess. <laughs> um, although there are a lot of people are prisoners or are felons, so they can't vote. But, but, you know, they fought for the right to vote and ride the bus. But, but it's a horrible place to live because it's one of these little black towns that um, is in disrepair. And it's disrepair and is underproductive because once black people actually like voted their interests and got black you know, elected officials, all the white money and capital um, and factories moved out to the suburbs, right? So it's underproductive. Selma could be productive. We can have factories. We can not just have factories. We can have cultural institutions. We can have good places for lots of people to produce and sell goods. More robust markets. Um, if we actually got serious about productivity enhancing um, assets. So for example, this isn't rural India. So we could use a few more roads and 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 definitely more schools, but we'll talk about that later. We can use a, full, a few more roads, but what should have happened with the pandemic is that they, we should have gotten serious about getting everyone internet access, putting down fiber. Right now, where I am in Athens, I can go 15 miles in any direction except towards Atlanta, and the internet gets spotty. That's horrible. That's a disgrace. That could have been fixed through the pandemic, but everyone you need, everyone who needs a job could have been like on a crew earning $25 an hour putting down fiber and that would make all of these rural and small town uh, places more productive because you can't really be productive in, in, in a pandemic without access to internet. So you, get, you secure everyone internet. You secure everyone like these productivity enhancing assets, like some seed capital, so that they can start and run and secure their business. And you know what? They'll produce. And then if you have people who are producing, then you have other people who are consuming, and that'll bring prices down for everything else, right? So the problem is we gave people money without making them more productive. So people are fans of UBI's universal basic income. I'm not so much a fan of uh, universal basic income because I don't want to give people money without making them productive. I'm a fan of a federal job guarantee, which actually procures the services and goods we need in order for all of us to be productive while paying very well in a unionized job, right? So a federal job guarantee at $25 an hour will increase the productivity of places like Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, while not leading to a um, uh, inflation because every one of those places have wonderful weather and actually pretty, if you put in a cultural infrastructure, can be like actually very pleasant places to live, especially now that you don't need to go into the office anymore. You can move to South Carolina and, and, and know that you have a cultural infrastructure, not just in a cultural infrastructure and good internet and you could still have a kind of a more manageable life and a robust cultural infrastructure, right? So you create a robust cultural infrastructure, a place for people to spend money, good schools and programs, um, 
for people to spend money and then people won't hoard money and spend it all on things that you also want to buy right and that'll and that'll keep inflation down through increasing productivity right so you want to you want to pay working people to work right and you want to enable entrepreneurship and just productivity in general by securing productivity enhancing assets if you don't have internet if you're living in a place without internet, like it's just depressing the, deep, the GDP of your entire county. And that's no small counties, no small number of counties in these United States, right? So we have to think in terms of productivity enhancing assets. There's a great, um, there's a great uh, article by uh, Dylan Matthews about the federal job guarantee and how it increased private hiring and private uh, productivity in India. So you give people jobs doing the work that we need to be done, and it turns out more people will want to um, uh, do work. <laughs> They'll be more productive if everything in their life works. Like, I am more productive now that I have better equipment and my equipment works. And by the way, if you support me having better equipment, um, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, dollars or $50 a month. And I will keep, you know, I want to add a cultural show once a week where I just talk about like pop culture and, and, and how pop culture helps us, like either confuses us with respect to freedom in addition to this political show where it helps you screw up, uh, helps you um, understand how not to like destroy yourself um and squander your life through bad politics i so like you give me a little bit more money i can be more productive productive and everyone's like better for it right so there's this idea yeah there used to be a carpet factory apparently someone someone's talking about factories there used to be a carpet factory in um I mean, they were all over the South. Georgia, Georgia makes carpet. And there's, there are areas who makes carpet. We can be more productive. We can be more productive if you invest in people actually supplying productivity enhancing goods. People with two good hips are more productive than people without two good hips, right? People with good dental care are more productive than people without dental, good dental care. And you end up employing a lot of dentists and dental hygienists and all of that stuff. So you invest in productivity enhancing um, uh, assets and the people who build and service them. And that way, and you can produce your way out of, uh, you, you don't have to worry about the uh, you know, supply chain issues, number one. And two, you can produce your way out of inflationary spells. All right. So the problem is we didn't think about production during the pandemic. And I said this before when the, when the lock, I wasn't a huge fan of lockdowns to begin with. I was a fan of reshifting the economy. We need people producing masks. We need people laying down fiber. We needed to split up all of these schools into tiny schools. We needed to retrofit abandoned buildings and strip malls and churches, stuff that's been abandoned since 2008. We needed to retrofit them into like pandemic safe little pod schools and decentralized schooling. Um, and like put all those people into work, like doing work, retrofitting these buildings and laying down fiber and like getting us pandemic proof as opposed to just giving people money to stay home and not do anything. Right. So if we had actually like spent money in productivity enhancing assets, we would continue producing 
through the pandemic. They wouldn't be talking about school closures. By the way, you know, I have the disposition and the intellect and the flexibility to homeschool my kids if, if, if Georgia ever shut down their schools again. But that's a luxury and an accident. And you have to understand that for people who don't, it is really screwing up their lives. You're just shutting down their schools like that. Uh, I just imagine if I was in high school in, in California and they shut down my school, I would not have learned anything. I would have just spent all that time watching videos on MTV or goofing around with my friends, playing video games. I would not have learned a thing. So this idea that Zoom, and if you put me in Zoom school when I was 16, I just would have turned off the camera and done any of the hell thing I wanted to. So this idea that Zoom school is real school or that like, and shutting down the school is some sort of benign thing. My mom would have been working because my mom always worked and I just would have done whatever I wanted to do, which wouldn't have been school. So this idea that it's a benign, um, it's a benign exercise is just ridiculous. So yeah, we should have just actually just been retrofitting buildings for small schools, like itty bitty schools and decentralizing education such that like, all like a vacant churches the, the churches are pretty much vacant like you rent out a church during the week um i put 10 kids there 15 kids here and you could have had like a huge program for county by county solutions to just decentralize schools because this was always a density problem so our schools were made for people to be close to each other and that's not a viable anymore so anywhere with an industrial kitchen should have been like commandeered to be made a new school during the week. And we could have done it and we could have retrofitted all sorts of, it, like we could have solved this problem through producing our way through it instead of sending people home. And it was just irresponsible, irresponsible public policy, irresponsible public discourse. And the people who pay, pay the most for it, are, the school thing are going to be like, you know, low and income people and stigmatized minorities because everyone else with money is going to pay for private tutors or like quit a job and homeschool their kids and then pay for the services they want a la carte. Right? And, and so that's what people with money are going to do. So it's going to be a K-shaped recovery in terms of education. The people who are in the middle, but well, dependent on public institutions are going to take a dip. And then the people who are in the middle, but had money are going to now get a, uh, are going to get a, a boost. Because like, like I said, I spent a year homeschooling my kids. My kids came back ahead because it was me homeschooling them. But that's not fair to like anybody else. Right? Like, I, I, so someone says we can challenge churches and retired school teachers to do a home. That's not a serious solution. That's not a serious, this, this needs to be a state like funded program. These things cost money. And this is where you put money. And you put money in this and it actually produces like a better workforce and a more productive workforce and like in 10, 15 years time, it pays for itself, right? So you pay people to actually um, uh, produce and service productivity enhancing assets and you don't have to worry about inflation because people have more places to put their money and America's more productive. Right? Like I said, I'm not the only one who thinks Georgia is underproductive and I've been to Alabama. Alabama is so underproducing because it's got great weather. It's got great weather and a horrible race problem. 
So you have great weather and a horrible race problem. And anyway, you have a horrible race problem, you're gonna have degraded public infrastructure because public infrastructure includes infrastructure for black people. So you actually spend money securing a public infrastructure for black people. That means everyone gets internet, everyone gets, um, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about, the Mahatma Gandhi uh, National Rural Employment Guarantee Act. It actually increased public uh, productivity enhancing assets, increased private sector hiring, and increased private sector, private sector, and pri private sector hiring and private sector um, productivity because it, in it, it, it uh, uh, secured productivity enhancing assets. You could do the same thing for Alabama. People are underproducing because they don't have the infrastructure for it. And not just internet, but internet, roads, um, culture, like newspaper, apparently newspaper is good for newspapers and local media is good for private sector and small county productivity. And it's, it's <laughs> apparently the more local newspapers you have, the less you have to worry about local and county level grift and graft. So, um, Invest in productivity enhancing assets and you can produce your way out of inflation because people don't have to depend on going to like a monopoly provider to, to buy the things that they need. You actually have real competition for, for like goods and services. So invest in like the building of factories and, and like for things that we can build here, right? And then you can pay those workers and those workers have places to actually put their money. As a, and that's how you keep inflation down while actually securing and enabling freedom, right? So, um, yeah, all right, so yeah, this, uh, I, I read the comments. Uh, Asta Shah is actually telling the truth. There's like, the, this Rural, Rural Employment Guarantee Act is, has done wonders for the Indian economy and it's just made it more stable. So it's been good for both public sector like life and private life because now people just have in rural India have public sector goods that are serviced and like available. So you do that and everyone wins. You can produce your way out of inflation. You just have to make sure that the, you have to have an eye towards making people productive and helping people produce. Right? So I mean, maybe you disagree with me, You've, but if you've ever driven around the rural South, you know that there is decades of deferred maintenance to be done. Dec in really nice places that could be nice if they had a decent civic infrastructure and like <laughs> could refurbish everything. Some of these rural towns are heaps, but it's only because these are rural black towns and the state starves rural black towns. So you get rid of the, uh, so if you actually invest in these towns, in a Selma, Alabama, there's a great story by The Guardian. Just put in Google Selma slaves, and it'll just tell you just like the disinvestment of Selma. As soon as black people got the vote, they voted in some black elected officials, white companies left. And now, so just like, it's just a big jobless little city. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way with a lot of deferred maintenance. If you actually invest in Selma and actually allow them to be productive and like, you know, start some seed factories there. Uh, so start with a government factory and then you, you move over to other private factories. You could actually, you could actually like not only tamp down inflation, but increase people's quality of life and freedom. 
And you know, this nation was built to uh, secure the blessings of liberty. And that means blessings of liberty in um, on all aspects of life. Yeah, someone said, rural Georgia, no sidewalks, no highways. If you put sidewalks and highways in rural Georgia, including internet and all that stuff, sidewalks, highways, you see there some cultural infrastructure so that places have places to go. And that you'll, what you'll end up having is actually more produ a more productive populace because we are underproducing, especially given our wonderful weather, relative to like what we could produce because of disinvestment, racialized disinvestment. Right? So produce your way out of inflation. Don't try to cut your way out of inflation because that'll just end up being a power grab for the wealthy. You produce out of, um, you produce your way out of inflation by democratizing production and you try to make your people and secure them as productive as possible. Federal job guarantee at $25 an hour. Everyone working, ripping out lead pipes, um, retrofitting schools. Show, uh, like, you could have, like I said, you could just, if you're going to, instead of shuttering schools, get them down to 10, 20 people by taking over and retrofitting um, new buildings, uh, uh, buildings, right? And then, like, hire people to, like, run lunches. Like, there's a way to increase productivity and also, you know, get people working in a pandemic economy. We just don't take it seriously because the people who are suffering are, you know, the poor people who don't matter anyway. All right. So thank you for your time. And I will see you next week talking about something completely different. And if, once again, if you like anything I do, which I think you should, because not a lot of people will give you the correct take on these issues because the correct take also like doesn't include like necessarily helping out big corporate moneyed interests. And so I need you to go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, 15 or $50 a month to help me do what I do. And that'll help you do what you do. Thank you for your time.